In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, we have reached the point in the Divine Liturgy where we are beginning the prayer of the faithful. And before we start looking in detail at it, I wanted us to pause and remind ourselves what the purpose of liturgy is. It seems a very long time ago where we started this great long journey of exploring the divine liturgy. I can't even remember when we started this journey. Little by little exploring each step of this great procession of the divine liturgy where we have come together as catechumens at the start of the divine liturgy, processing, coming together little by little in the procession. And we're at this point, at the beginning of the Cherubic Hymn. And we're at this point where we hear in the Gospel of the Samaritan man, where Jesus is answering this demand, this request from the young lawyer, of how one becomes justified. How is it that we are justified not by the law or even necessarily by works? What are we doing when we come to the divine liturgy? What is the purpose of this ritual? Surely, many people will say, that we don't need all of this. What is the purpose of us getting up in the morning on a Sunday and doing this thing? What is the purpose of all these objects around us, these vestments, these candles, these icons, these frescoes, the acts, the words? Surely we don't need them. Surely we're way too intelligent for this now. Surely all I need to do is just believe in Jesus Christ. Surely all I need to do is have faith. But this asks and begs the question, what is faith? And many of us would like to believe and hope that faith is just a spiritual act, a spiritual moment where we assent with our brains We decide with our brains that we believe in Jesus Christ. But Christianity teaches us that faith, belief, is a physical act. It is an act. When we get out of bed, we all believe in gravity, I hope. When we step out of our bed, we put our feet on the ground. And it's not just a spiritual or intellectual act of belief is a physical act we put our feet on the ground and we without thinking about it every morning we put our feet on the ground and we trust that gravity still works and our feet are not going to float up into the sky i wonder whether any of us this morning considered the possibility that gravity did not work this morning and that we would float off But we trust in gravity, a rule, a law of physics that nobody truly understands. And yet we trust and believe in gravity every morning. 
when we get out of bed. And the same is true of our Christian faith. That we must trust, and we do trust, and believe in Jesus Christ. Not just merely an intellectual belief, but a physical belief. It has a physical manifestation in our life. And not just as individuals, but as a community. Because we must ask ourselves, what is it that we believe in Jesus Christ? And how is it that we believe in Jesus Christ? How is that communicated to us? It is, of course, communicated to us in the Bible. But beyond the Bible, how else is it communicated to us? It is communicated to us in the habits, in the physical manifestation of a living faith, a living tradition of a people, a people of God. Because otherwise the text can be made to mean whatever it likes, whatever the people would like it to mean. Because anyone can pick up this text of the Bible, and many millions of people have just picked up this text of the Bible and made it, made it mean anything they like. Because on its own it is mere text. It is merely words. And words, and as we know these days, can be twisted to mean whatever we want them to be mean. Someone needs to live the words. Someone needs to make those words physical. So those words are made physical, made manifest, made corporeal, made physical in a body. Not just in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, but in his body. Capital B, in other words, the people of God, by us. And in our habits, in our traditions, are passed on. And through the centuries, they are made into ritual. They are made into consistent habits through the centuries. As we come together and reenact and remember bringing the members back together again in consistent and repeated activities. As in the scripture we see the apostles coming together at the third hour, coming together at the gates, coming together in the synagogues, coming together in the temple, we already see the divine liturgy beginning to happen as we see them at the Last Supper, as we see them even together on the road to Emmaus, seeing them encountering Christ Jesus, breaking bread with them after the resurrection. We see the divine liturgy beginning to happen. That divine liturgy becomes more and more coherent through the centuries and develops into the divine liturgy that we experience today. It contains the con continuous experience of all of the traditions, all of the centuries, all of the experiences of all of the traditions that has come from the apostles, from Jerusalem, through the Middle East, into the experience of the Hellenic and Greek-speaking world. And for us, 
into the Russian-speaking world and then into Europe, Western Europe, after the revolution, even into this tiny little chapel here, speaking through us. It is a physical manifestation of our communion with all the people that come part, have come before us. The people who have suffered, the people who have, joy, have had joy, the people who have cried, the people who have had tears, the people who have experienced joy in the martyrdom and in the love of Jesus Christ. It is a gift that has been given to us and it is a gift that we pass on. But it is more than that. It is our body politic. It is the thing that binds us together as Christians, even if we don't speak the same language, even if we come from different parts of the world, even if we don't understand every single word that's being said in the divine liturgy, as I certainly experienced over the last weekend, I still understood what was being said and why it was being said. I understood the movement I understood what was being carried, why people were moving, in what direction they were moving, why they were moving. It was the physical manifestation of our unity in Christ. It was, in modern terms, our muscle memory. It was our primary reflex as Christians. It is so important to our identity that it carries our theology. It carries our theology. More so perhaps even than the words that are being said, which is why in my preaching on the liturgy over the last few months, we've been focusing on what is being moved and who is being moved, rather than necessarily on what's being said. Because as we understand who is moving, who is carrying what, and why they're moving and where they're moving to, we understand more about the theology of our church than we necessarily do about the words that are being said. The words come later. The actions speak louder and stronger and more powerfully than the words. The actions are carrying our theology. And that moves also into our own home lives and into our pu public lives too. Informed and strengthened by our prayers, by our divine liturgy on Sunday, we also, in our muscle memory, are formed into our public lives by liturgy. We see here, this is a story that we know so well, the story of the Good Samaritan. But really what's being said here is not stories of priests being bad people or Levites bad, being bad people or Samaritans being good people, but by someone's theology informing his actions. He had compassion on the man who fell amongst thieves. That was his theology. That was his compassion. That was his understanding of the Lord God, his Saviour. And that theology, that faith, that his belief, 
wasn't just an intellectual understanding or an intellectual appreciation that there was a God. It wasn't just a religion. But his appreciation, his understanding, his theology of God was a muscle memory. That his compassion led into action. That our action in the divine liturgy leads into an action in the liturgy after the liturgy. That in our place of work, in our communities, in our public life, that we extend our divine liturgy into encountering God in those places. That Christianity is political. That Christianity is a public act. And I say that in full knowledge of where we have become, where we are now as an archdiocese and as a parish in the Russian tradition, in the, our place as an archdiocese after the Rev- Russian Revolution, where even today in the UK, where Christianity is put away into the private space, where people will say, I don't care what you believe as long as you keep it in your home. I don't mind that you're a Christian as long as you don't bother me with your Christianity. In the same way, during the Soviet period, one's Christianity was okay, even under after the persecutions, as long as you kept it private, as long as it was in a museum, as long as it didn't interfere with your work life or political life. But Christianity is intrinsically political, not party political, not capital P political, but small p political, that informs our public life and should be seen to inform our public life, how we act and how we make decisions in public life. There is no political party that is Christian. There is no party political party that we can tick a box and go, that matches all of Orthodox Christian values. There's never been such, and there is never a political, theo- political philosophy that is, matches up to Christianity. But nonetheless, it is important for us to take our Christian values into the public space and to proclaim them. And not just to speak them, but to act them. In the same way as that Samaritan took his faith and had compassion. And this is not about judging people for not being Christians. The first and foremost principle of a Christian in the public faith, in the public life, is that Samaritan principle. Is to have compassion as we go into public life, especially as we lead up to a general election, as we go into all sorts of political difficulties in public life, in places of work where religion is rejected or contested, where we encounter 
environmental degradation, environmental controversy, where we encounter debates about Christian values, what people consider to be traditional values, which don't even necessarily equal Christian values. The primary Christian value that we take into our public life is that of the Samaritan. Is first we have compassion in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.